Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord setting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said, I woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I want you to notice verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. And with twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And I want to preach for the next little while upon this subject. Wings of worship. Wings of worship of worship. Let's pray for the Lord God of heaven to help us here tonight. We do need his anointing. Jesus, we look to you once again, praying God for your help, your strength, your anointing, your power. Praying God you would speak to us definitely with his surety tonight. I pray your anointing would break off bands and shackles and destroy yokes. God, that you would touch the people of this house as we endeavor to draw close to you through worship. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, and somebody, somebody just praise the name of the Lord with me right now. Let's give thanks to Him. Come on, let's really do it. Let's really do it. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's do a good job of it. Bible said, whatsoever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might. I think we ought to do it with all of our might. Praise God every bit of my energy, I'm going to give you the praise, Lord. I'm going to give you the thanks, Lord. Praise God. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Only twice as far as I have discovered in the entirety of the Word of God do we know for certain that men have had the privilege of entering in to what we would call the very throne room of God. We know that the Apostle Paul experienced some things and the details of it we're not totally sure of because he said though he was caught up into the third heaven that he did not feel permitted to talk about or to elaborate on everything that he had saw or experienced. So we don't know exactly what it is that he experienced there. And then also we know that Jeremiah talked about a very special time and visitation from the Lord, and quite possibly he entered into that throne room. But we do know that twice, that 
two different men had the privilege through the Spirit of entering into the very throne room of God where God and all of His glory dwells. First of all, here in Isaiah chapter number 6, the old prophet, the writer begins to write here and sing where God was and experiencing God's glory. And then we see that John the Revelator in the book of Revelation was caught up and he entered into this special place with the Lord. And even though they visited the same room, the same location, the same place, they being human beings noted and recorded different details, different facets, different things that they witnessed from their perspective about this place. For example, John, when he writes of it, he writes about a rainbow that was around the throne. And he goes into all the splendor and how that that throne was set in a sea of glass. He saw lightnings. He heard thunderings. He witnessed voices emanating from beneath the throne. And then Isaiah never spoke of any of those things, but both of these men saw three different things that they both took the time to note and to record. First of all, they both entered into the same place and they saw a throne. And I think that's very significant for us to remember tonight. I know that when you pick up your newspaper or when you hear the radio, it's easy to believe that the devil is winning or that he is taking charge. But I want to remind you tonight that the Lord is still on the throne and that there's still a throne in heaven. And the scripture says that he sets up on the circle of the earth, that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. I've come to tell you that God is still in charge, that God is still in control, that he still reigns. It doesn't matter what's going on in the news. It doesn't matter what's happening in this chaotic world that we're a part of. It doesn't matter how depraved, how immoral, how sacrilegious that society becomes. I'm telling you that there's still a throne in heaven. And God is still in control. The Bible says that they both saw a throne. The second thing that both of these men witnessed was that they saw one that sat upon that throne. Yes, they saw a throne and they saw one that sat upon that throne. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, not lords, but Lord. Amen. I, I didn't see three, but I saw one. I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In other words, his glory filled that entire atmosphere. John made it even a little bit more clear. He said, I saw a throne that was established in the heavens, and there was but one that sat upon that throne. Now, I realize that they saw different aspects of this one God, but they only saw one God. For example, John describing this one that sat upon the throne said, When I looked at him, it was like looking at a jasper and a sardine stone, trying to describe the beauty, 
trying to describe the majesty of the Lord, trying to describe this throne room and the presence of God that he felt and witnessed and saw. He's having a little bit of difficulty trying to find the adjectives, trying to find the right words to express it. He wants to properly articulate it, but he's having difficulty. So he thinks about the two most beautiful gems that he's ever laid his eyes upon. And he said, you put them together. You put a jasper stone and a sardine stone together, and I'm telling you, that's how beautiful my God is. I tell you that when you stumbled out of a dark world of sin into a church and you found your way to an altar and you repented of your sins and you saw for the first time, amen, the glory of God, you experienced for the first time the grace and the mercy of God. You received forgiveness for the first time. You had your sins washed away. You had them remitted in waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And you received this wonderful and glorious experience of the Holy Ghost. You could sort of relate to what John was feeling when he said, I don't really know how to describe it. It's more beautiful than my words can express. It's more great and magnificent and, and it's got greater splendor than what I'm able to say and what I'm able to state. But I'm just telling you the most beautiful things that you've ever saw in this world cannot compare to the Lord. Cannot compare to being in the presence of the Lord. When you step into his mercy, when you experience his grace, when you receive his spirit, it's a wonderful and glorious experience. And John said, I can't describe it, but I'm just going to do my best in expressing to you how beautiful God is. I'm telling you, he's so beautiful, we could spend the rest of the night endeavoring to praise him and worship him and glorify him, and still the half wouldn't be told. Still the job wouldn't be done. We could praise him with a loud voice. We could clap our hands. We could sing eloquent songs. But at the end of the night, when we turn these lights off, we still couldn't tell you how good he is, how great he is, how awesome he is, how beautiful it is. Amen. And what an experience it is to know the might and the grace of Almighty God. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Right. John said, yet, yet I saw another aspect of him. He said, I saw him high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, we know what he was referring to, and many of you have heard me tell about this, or you've heard other preachers describe that train, but... It was traditional during that time. It was their custom as kings that when a king would go forth to battle that he would uh, have attached to his garment a long train or a train uh, of the victory that he had won and the conquest that he had came back with. It would be embroidered, the story of that victory, and it would be attached to his garment until a long train had developed. And, and uh, this, this piece of cloth that was uh, maybe 24 are, are so inches long and, and, and then after a while with each victory and with each conquest uh, there was a long train that would extend uh, behind him as he would make his way 
in through his palace to his throne. And so this was what Isaiah was referring to. And most of these, they say a very long train would be something like 12 or 14 feet long. This was a very uh, victorious king. This was a very mighty king. This is a man that had had a long tenure as a king. Would have one maybe, uh, it, it could be extended out to even 16 feet long, but that was a very long train. And Isaiah saying this, he said, when I saw the Lord... He said, I looked in that train. It wasn't just 14 or 16 feet long. It, it wasn't even 20 or 25 feet long. But that train filled the entire temple. In other words, everywhere you looked, uh, you saw victory. Everywhere you looked, you saw triumph. Uh, everywhere you looked, you saw of uh, the things that he has accomplished uh, and the testimonies of how good he is and how great he is. Uh, everywhere you looked in the temple, there was nothing, no room for anything else uh, but victory. I'm going to tell you when God gets in his proper position in our hearts uh, and in our minds and in our church, uh, there's no room for defeat in the presence of God. There's nothing but triumph. There's nothing but victory. There's nothing but conquest. There's nothing but testimony of how great God is. I don't have amen, a sorry, sore tale to tell you tonight, but I come to lift up the name of Jesus and to praise him and let his train fill this temple tonight, this house of God. If somebody would lift him up, he would fill this place. Oh, let's give praise to the Lord right now. Come on. Somebody lift up the name of Jesus. He said there's no room for defeat in the presence of my God. John saw his beauty while Isaiah saw his power. But each man saw a throne. And this was symbolic of the power and the might and the strength of God and that he's in charge and that he's in control. And I want to remind somebody of that tonight because uh, sometimes life can get out of control and it, it can spiral downward and it can seem like uh, that, that, that somebody else or something else is, is in control of it all. But I'm telling you, God is in control. Amen. And they saw one that set up on that throne. But finally, they both saw these beings that Isaiah, and we don't find this word mentioned a whole lot in the scripture, but these were called seraphims as he described them. Angelic beings that had a particular function in the throne room of God. They were angels, but they were different from other angels that you read about in the word of the Lord. And they had a different, they had a different purpose and, and uh, they were assigned to do a different thing than perhaps other angels that you read about. In fact, uh, as I stated the other night, I, I believe in angels. I, I don't go around just looking for them around every corner. I, I don't go just uh, searching for them everywhere I go. But the Bible did say to entertain angels. Amen. Or entertain strangers because in doing so you might entertain angels unaware. 
In other words, be sensitive to God. Amen. I think what the bigger message of that scripture is, is for us to always be sensitive that God can be in things that we not, may not realize that he's in. We may not even recognize him in that situation. And so it's important for us to be sensitive to that. Amen. And sometimes uh, in life, if we're not careful, we get so involved in routines and schedules and rituals and, and just uh, the boredom of life that we fail to realize that as God's children, he wants to be an intricate part of every portion of our lives. And he is interested in every area of our lives. And he wants to be involved in every area of our lives. You think God doesn't care about what you do on the job and God doesn't care about what goes on in the garden and God doesn't care about the task and the menial things of life. But I'm just telling you, God can help you on your job. And God can help you with the duties around the house. And God can help you with your responsibility. If you'll allow God, he'll be a part of everything. And that's the way he should be. Amen. We don't just have a, a church God that we come and worship here and we don't take home with us, but we've got the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. And when we walk out of these doors and even off of these premises, we take God with us in His Spirit. He travels with us in the car. In His Spirit, He's with us when we lay down tonight. In His Spirit, He's there when we need Him. He's not just a, a three-time-a-week God, but He's a 24-7 God. And somebody ought to praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I believe in angels. As I said the other week, not because I've seen a whole lot of them, because I haven't. But I believe in angels because the Bible says that there are angels. Amen. And as far as I can see in my study, they have two primary functions. First of all, there's messenger angels. And then there's guardian angels that... that the scripture said, and camp about them that fear him. How many times have we been in dangerous situations and we didn't even realize it? But the enemy's plans for us was foiled because there was angels that were protecting us, that were around us. And I, I'm not trying to be too overly emphasizing of that, and, and I'm not trying to make something bigger than what it is, but I do believe in it because the Bible says it to be true. And this is scripture. I'm not out of the word of God. And, and uh, I, I think it's a very common thing that sometimes we don't even recognize it. But in the spirit world, they're there. And it's happening. And the Bible said they're ministering to the heirs of salvation. Ministering spirit to the heirs of salvation. So they're there. There's times that you felt encouraged and strengthened and you didn't even really realize what the source of it was. But maybe it was God sent a ministering spirit to you to strengthen you and to help you and to encourage you during that time. Maybe you was driving down the road, hit a patch of ice and the car went out of control momentarily but suddenly it got traction. Could it have been that there was an angel of the Lord that was there to protect you and watch over you. I believe in those kinds of things. But these angels that we read about in the word of God are different and they perform really only one singular duty that I find in the word of the Lord. But this one thing that they do, they do it well. This one thing that they're assigned to, they, they do it, uh, amen, and they have been doing it for a long time. Day and night, every day, every 24-hour cycle, they, they never take 
any rest. They never take any recesses. But throughout the ages, always and perpetually, they're praising the Lord. Isaiah said that they, these four beings are around the throne of God, these seraphims, and they were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think that's a very powerful statement. Not, not just this throne room, but the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Somebody said, well, I don't recognize that. I don't see it that way. The whole earth being full of the glory of God. you got to be in that realm. you got to be sensitive to those things to be able to recognize that. But if we can get in contact with it, we'll see that the glory of God is here and it's available and he can work in our lives and whatever we have need of, God is able to do it. Whatever prayers that you need answered tonight, I believe there's enough power of God. There's enough glory of God to see those things come to fruition even in this house tonight. You believe that? And they're crying holy and they're, they're flittering around, hoovering around in that throne room. And, and we know that there's four of them. And, and I can't imagine just how they're positioned through the throne room. But I, I hear them crying one to another. One maybe over here is crying holy. While the other one over here answers him back and says holy. Then the one over there on the other side cries holy. And then the one behind lifts up his voice and cries holy. Holy. You see, they all have a different outlook. They all are seeing him from a different dimension and perspective. But they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying it doesn't matter how you look at the Lord. It doesn't matter how you see God. Every time you look upon him, you see him the same way. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. Amen. Amen. It doesn't matter how you look at this. He's holy. He's worthy. Amen. He's holy to be praise. He's holy to be lifted up. Amen. I'm going to tell you that it doesn't matter where you are for what angle you're looking at God at. He's a holy God. He's a powerful God. He's a God that's in control. He's a God that is able. He's a God that is not deficient. He's a God that still heals. He's a God that still works. He's a God of miracles. He's a God of the supernatural. He's a God of revival. He's holy. Oh, let's give him some praise. And as far as I can tell, church, there's only one other creature like these seraphims. There's only one other creature that was created for the expressed purpose of worshiping God. These seraphims and you and I, we are called out to show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Bible said we're called to show forth the praises of him that called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. The scripture said, in Psalms 100, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Praise God. We are God's creation for the express purpose 
of lifting up his name and glorifying his name when the devil refused to worship God, when he rebelled, when Lucifer rebelled against God, the Bible said like lightning, he fell to the earth. He was kicked out. He was evicted from heaven. And the Lord began to form out of the dust of the earth. He began to form a man in his own likeness, in his own image, the Scripture says. And he breathed his own breath into that man. And that man became a living soul. He made him for an express purpose and reason. And that purpose is not to shoot drugs in his veins. That purpose was not to hurl obscenities and profanity. That purpose was not to pop pills and to spit chewing tobacco or to inhale cigarette smoke. But that purpose was for one reason. That breath that I gave you, Adam, that breath that I gave the race of humanity is for one reason. I want it to return to me in praise and thanksgiving and worship and exaltation. When we sing, we're not just doing it so we can get a blessing. We're giving back to God. When we come in this house and we clap our hands and lift up our voice, we're letting everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. We're fulfilling the reason of our creation. When we dance, when we leap for joy, when we shout, when we run the aisles, what are we doing? This is what we was created for. Don't let the devil intimidate you, but let the devil know this is the reason why I'm here is to give praise, is to give worship unto God. Oh, somebody praise him right now. Somebody worship him right now. Praise God. Amen. And then we see through this passage that I read to you tonight, there was some very powerful, powerful effects of what these seraphims were doing and the worship that they were giving unto God. The Bible said as Isaiah was watching on in verse 4, he said, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Amen. Now I want you to understand, we're talking about the throne room of God. We're not talking about a, a shack that was built with carpenters with a plumb line and a hammer and an old an old saw and maybe a maybe a, a chalk line to mark it and and uh, just hoping that he could get it nailed together just right we're talking about the throne room of God we're talking about it was it was fit together by the hands of God we're talking about something that it is uh, strong and and is sure and, and is steadfast and that is established by God himself but as those seraphims begin to worship the Bible said that even those doorposts were moved and they begin to shake and they begin to tremble and they begin to, amen to like a mighty earthquake in that throne room it began to take place as they begin to cry holy 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 
Amen. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Suddenly, they, they begin to sense something happening in the throne room. Things that, that seem so strong and steadfast begin to move. I'm going to tell you, you need something to move in your life. You need something to be, you need something to be brought down. In your, you need a stronghold to be brought down. You need to pull down some things, amen, that has been built up in your mind and your spirit. Maybe there's some things that the devil's tried to lodge in your heart and tried to lodge in your consciousness and keep you from really getting the victory that you desire. Amen. And that's his battlefield. He gets in our minds and he tells us that we can't be healed. We can't be delivered. and We can't be set free. We can't have victory. We can't be a conqueror. We're never going to get the prayer through. God's never going to work in our families. and Revival's never going to come to our home. We can't quit the drugs. We can't quit the tobacco. We can't quit the alcohol. We can't get over this and we can't get over that. I'm here to tell you the devil's a liar that if you'll just worship God here tonight What do we encourage people to do? I'll tell you what we encourage people to do. You can't get victory or you can't get forgiveness over anything you're unwilling to repent over. So first of all, first things first, you've got to repent of your sin. And what does repentance mean? It means turning away from it. It makes a, a, a conscious choice. It's making a determination and a decision. I'm severing myself from all of those contacts. I'm getting rid of all of those things. I'm making up my mind. I'm making a decision to live for God. But you know what I'm going to tell you right now? I'm not saying God is not able, but I haven't ever seen anybody got the Holy Ghost. I've never seen anybody get the Holy Ghost, receive the Holy Ghost that wasn't that didn't first of all do two things. First of all, just what I said, they repented of their sin. That's a prerequisite. You can't get the Holy Ghost without repenting of your sins. Matter of fact, if we baptized you tonight and you didn't repent of your sins, all you did is just get wet. You didn't get any remission. It, it, it was just an act that, that wasted our time and yours. But if you've repented of your sins, amen, there's, there's something powerful that takes place when you go a little bit further and you begin to worship God because I have seen every person that I've ever seen in 24 years of full-time ministry and a few years before that, I've seen people, every one of them that I've ever seen, and I've seen hundreds of people receive the Holy Ghost, and I've seen several of them receive it at one time. I'm telling you, the only way I've ever seen it happen is first of all, they repented and they they cried out to God and they were sorry for their sin and, and the Bible said that godly sorrow worketh repentance uh, but then after they got through that uh, and they took their time doing it they didn't rush them through it and they didn't tell them that uh, hurry up uh, amen but we let them get through that and really fully die out because that's what repentance is uh, is dying out uh, after that they threw their hands in the air and we instructed them to worship God and it's then that the Holy Ghost fell because the Bible said he inhabits uh, the praise of uh, of his people. Amen. You want the Holy Ghost to fall? You just start praising the Lord. You start lifting up the name of Jesus. You start magnifying God and the Holy Ghost will manifest itself. The Spirit of the Lord will begin to work in your life. God will begin to have his way. Somebody want him to move right now. Somebody want him to touch you right now. Somebody want him to work for you right now. Lift up your hands and let's give him praise together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Praise God, praise God, praise God. The doorpost moved at the voice of them that cried. Amen. The doorpost moved at the voice of him that cried. The Bible said that smoke filled that place in that throne room. What's it talking about? Is that talking about residue? What it's talking about, amen, is not a fire per se, but uh, what it's talking about is the glory of God begin to fill that place. Hallelujah. I'd like for the glory of God to fill this house tonight. It'd be all right with me if it got so strong and so thick in here just like it did in the days of Solomon when he dedicated the temple of God. That the Bible said it was so strong that the priest couldn't even stand up and bear to minister. He couldn't even go on with the program because the Spirit of the Lord was moving so strong, he just had to give way to it. It'd be all right if we just had to give way right here in the middle of this sermon, wouldn't it? Amen. We don't have to wait till the end or the altar call to get a miracle. You don't have to wait until I get through and invite you to the front and lay my palm on your head for you to get healed. You can get it right there between those benches. You can get it right there as your heart's raised up to God in praise. You can get a miracle right there where you're sitting tonight or where you're standing in this house. You can get it right where you are. Amen. All it takes is a hungry heart. All it takes is a desire. All it takes is somebody that's willing to get out of the norm and the status quo and say, God, I need some things to move. And so I'm going to cry out to you. And the glory will fill this place tonight. Amen. The Bible says that not only did the doorposts move at the voice of him that cried and smoke filled the place, but I noticed as they begin to worship, something began to transpire. And I want you to get this tonight. I, Isaiah described it, it one way. He tells of them being seraphims, having six wings. With twain they covered their face, and with twain they covered their feet, and with twain they did fly. And then John, all the way over here in the book of Revelation, is seeing these same four beings. And John said, I saw them, and it was a little different. There had been a change that had taken place between Isaiah and the book of Revelation. He said, when I looked on them, He said, one was the face of a lion, and one was the face of a calf, and one was the face of man, and the one was a flying eagle. One was as a flying eagle. There was a transformation that had taken place. Amen. As they begin to worship, and as they begin to praise, and as they begin to magnify the Lord, there was something that happened. And we know that what John was seeing was after Christ had came, died for our sins at Calvary's cross. And so we have to factor that in. What he was seeing, John the Revelator, was after the New Testament and the covenant that had been made with the people of God. The lion. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. He was the calf. He was the sacrifice. He was a man in that he was revealed in humanity. And he is like a flying eagle, an eagle that soars above all problems and difficulties and is not bound by the troubles that are down here on terra firma. Whatever's going on in your world, if you can get 
the Lord in it, you can rise above it. Whatever's happening in your life, if you can get the Lord to help you, you can rise above it. It changed not only their image, but noticed that their song actually changed. There was an adjustment to the words of their song. There was more depth, and there was greater understanding and revelation. In Isaiah, it was holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But by the time you get over to Revelation, he is singing, or they are singing, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, he which was, which is, and which is to come. Something had happened between Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. And that changed the worship of the scripture. And I'll tell you what it was. The God that was on that throne that Isaiah saw robed himself in flesh. And it came to this earth. And it died for the sins of humanity. He was slew on a cross. He was. But he rose again on the third day. He is. And someone, say with me, that someday eastern skies are going to part. Amen. And a trumpet's going to sound. And I'm going to tell you, he is to come. Amen. He was. He is. And he is to come. That's who I'm preaching about here tonight. That's who I'm talking about here in this house tonight. Oh, what are you saying, preacher? Years of worship not only changed the circumstances, it not only moved things, it not only changed them, but it changed their song. It changed their worship. It had greater depth to it. It had greater revelation. It had greater understanding. Amen. It had greater meaning to them. That's right. Amen. I want you to, uh, very quickly, would you find uh, Psalm 71 and 14 for me, Brother Smith. Uh, I just ran on to this the other day, and, and it really stirred my spirit. I want to talk to us, because a lot of times you see people's worship over time living for God diminish when it really should be the opposite. You see it decrease when it really should be on the increase. New converts shouldn't out-worship old saints. And I know we're not all physically there like we used to be, but I'm just telling you we need to do everything we possibly can. Amen. David, who is our example of worship, he said in Psalm 71, 14, but I will hope continually. I, I'm not going to lose hope the older I get. I'm not going to start being a doubter now. I'm not going to get a skewed attitude and bad spirit about the outlook that I have for revival and the things that God is able to do. I may have had some heartaches, and there's nobody that you can read out about in the Word of God that had any more disappointments than David did. But yet he was still able to hope. And he didn't lose his faith. He didn't lose his ability to praise God. Notice what he says. And will yet praise thee more and more. What did he say there in that last statement? And yet will praise thee more and more. He was going to do what? Praise him more and more. More. You, you, you notice when he started out the book of Psalms, uh, the first two Psalms, he doesn't say the word praise at all. But the last two Psalms that he writes, uh, Psalms uh, 149 and 150, starts it out. Praise ye the Lord. Let's just start it out right here. The older I get, the more I see God move, and the greater he is in my life, the more I have to praise him for. You think I'm going to quit? No. I'm going to praise him more and more. 
Come on. If you've ever been a shouter, my brother, you need to be a shouter now. If you've ever leaped for joy, you need to leap for joy now. If you've ever been an aisle runner, you better be an aisle runner now. If you've ever been a dancer, you need to be a dancer now. If you've ever been a worshiper, you best be a worshiper now. Praise him more and more. Yes, yes, amen. You know, there's probably nothing that that uh, diminishes pride and helps us to get in the presence of the Lord quite like worshiping God in the dimension that we need to, because you can. The two are not compatible. Worship and pride, praise and pride. Don't go together. Now, I understand that some people demean it, and they, but those are performers. And those are not really truly apostolic folks that are doing it for the glory of God. But when we're praising the Lord like we know how to praise the Lord in spirit and in truth, there's something that happens. Amen. David said in 149 and 3, let them praise his name in the dance. And he said in Psalms 150 and 4, Praise him with the timbrel and dance. David danced before the Lord with all of his might, as I uh, referred to earlier. And then Miriam, the Bible said, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women after her with timbrels. And they danced before the Lord, the Bible said, when they saw their captors were drowned in the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to tell you, when you see what God has done, it demands a response out of us. I said it demands a response out of us. Amen. I, I'm just going to speak for me. I'm not, I'm not speaking for you. I don't want any, I don't want you to misunderstand me, but I, I'm talking about me, myself, right now. I've made up my mind. Amen. I, I don't want to go, go through life and allow my worship to fall off and to feel like I can just sit back and be a pious preacher and cross my hands and expect everybody else to do it because I know this platform's like a mirror. Amen. Whatever people see out there, that's what they're going to emulate in many cases. And they need an example of somebody that loves God enough. Amen. Doesn't matter what's going on in the service. Doesn't matter who's singing. Doesn't matter if they're on tune. Doesn't matter, amen, if everything's perfect when the person gets up and preaches. But God is worthy and that's the only thing that matters and we're going to praise him according to his excellent greatness. So every opportunity I get, I'm going to put my hands in the air. Every opportunity I get, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Every opportunity I get, I'm going to give a shout of praise. God, I feel you right now in this house. Somebody ought to step out of that pew right now. Somebody ought to get out of that aisle and say, God, I'm going to let you fill my heart again with a spirit and attitude of worship and praise to you, God. Come on, it ought to intensify. It ought not fall off. Amen. You don't need somebody screaming in a microphone. You don't need a beat of a drum. What you need is it in your heart. You need to get it in your heart. I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper here. I'm a worshiper at home.